In 1 Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 1, the Bible says that Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I'll restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and is anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Now, those are not jump up out of your seat, run down the aisle shouting verses. They're, they're, you, you, sometimes when you read the Bible, and especially I remember sitting when I was a, a junior staff member at Meadow, and my pastor would open up with a passage of Scripture, and as he's reading it, I'm thinking to myself as he's reading, what is he going to do with these verses? What in the world is he going to, what, we're going to spend 30 minutes on this stuff? Because sometimes when you go through the Scriptures, they can seem benign to you. That's why we rush past a lot of verses that God put in the Bible for a reason, but they don't captivate us like other portions of Scripture. I think as we get through the rest of this chapter tonight, you're going to see that there's actually a lot to learn in this. Remember the last time Samuel had anointed Saul the first king of Israel. God did not want Israel to have a human king, but Israel demanded a human king, so God gave them what they wanted, told them what kind of king they were going to end up with throughout their history, and then ultimately sent Samuel out to go and find this man named Saul. Actually God brought Saul to Samuel, and then through several prophetic words that Samuel gave to Saul, Saul was convinced this man is speaking for the Lord, and I really am going to become the first king of Israel. Now this is the day where Samuel is making it public and official. And this is where Israel is going to swing on the hinge of history, and they're going to be moving into a brand new season, a season that would for centuries cause them much trouble under the guidance of human kings. God was going to be their king, and that's all God ever wanted. But just like He does still today, sometimes when His children are rebellious and stubborn and demand something after God and lean uh, from something from God and lean to their own understanding, there are times when God will say, I don't want you to have it, but you think you really need it, I'll go ahead and give it to you just to show you you really shouldn't have asked for it. And so that's the season that they're in right now. But the real gist of this is because of what God was doing here, it was bringing Samuel's ministry to a close. Samuel was the final judge in Israel. And Samuel had been so good and so faithful, but because of God working sovereignly and because of the rebellion of Israel working, uh, working itself out, Samuel was about to come out of his role as a judge. And so I want to examine what it looks like when it's time to step aside. I want you and I to think about the reality that we, God is eternal, His Word is eternal, but where you are and what you do in life is not eternal, it's seasonal. And God reserves the right to move pieces all around the chessboard, and sometimes He does it with you 
and with me. So, let's get into the Word of God together and see what we can learn tonight. Let's start in verses 1 and 2, and we will make our way further into the chapter. But let's begin there. Samuel was able to exit in honor. Samuel was done, and he was able to exit his work and his ministry in honor. First of all, he had an unwavering testimony. As Samuel is leaving, he's called all of Israel together. This is his last formal address as the judge of Israel. And Samuel says in verse 1 to all of Israel, he says, I've obeyed your voice in all that you have asked me, or all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And this is what he And you can see Saul just standing there. He says, now behold, look at him. This king walks before you, and I am old and gray. My sons are with you. And then he adds this, I have walked before you from my youth until this day. So this is clearly, visually, it is a moment where the new is being ushered in, and the old is being ushered out. Saul was a young man. Remember the Scripture describes him as handsome. He was very tall, the best looking guy in Israel at that time. And he's juxtaposed against Samuel who calls himself old and gray. And Samuel had spent his whole life ministering to Israel, but he was no longer a young man. He's no longer in the prime of his life. And God had sovereignly brought that chapter to a close. But this is what he's saying. He's saying, I have obeyed you. I have been faithful to the Lord, and when the Lord told me to permit you to have the king, I brought him here to you. He, he makes this very clear statement. He says, I have lived my life out before you, Israel, from the day I was a small boy. Remember the first message in this series? Samuel started off as a toddler, a toddler in his service unto Israel. Under the leadership of Eli in the tabernacle, Samuel was a little boy, so he had been in God's work his whole life. And now, picture how difficult this would be. Now, from his toddler years till this moment, and now God is closing that chapter of his life, especially the chapter of the judge of Israel. We'll go down into verse number three, because we all know we're going to end one day, but here's the real question of this message. How are we going to end? How will we end well? The only way that we can know that we're going to end well is to be treating each day like it might be the end and living that day well. And so Samuel is going to give a testimony about that. He had a clean conscience. Verse 3, here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. And when he's talking about the anointed, he's talking about King Saul. He says, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who did I defraud? Who have I oppressed? From whose hand have I taken one bribe, one single bribe to blind my eyes with it? He says, testify against me and I will restore it to you. All throughout Samuel's life in Israel, he was the judge. That means he was the man that he was the, the Lone Ranger Supreme Court of Israel. So when there were issues that had to be discussed and des, uh, decided upon in Israel, Samuel had the final say. And so he would have been all throughout his life making judicial decision, decisions. That's why he was called the judge and he was the final judge of Israel. But his last trial, he put himself on trial. Before the Lord, he said, I am standing before the Lord as the Lord is my witness, and as King Saul, the Lord's anointed king, is my witness. I'm going to ask you, have I ever defrauded any of you? Have I ever used my power to gain advantage over you? Have I oppressed any of you? Have I marketed my position in order to gain favor or to gain merchandise from you? And, and he puts this hypothetical case. He lays his life before the entire nation. I mean, you've got you to have a clean conscience if you're going to do that. He, he says to them, examine the spectrum of my life and service in my role as judge. Have I ever used it for selfish gain? 
And he lays that before him. You say, Jeff, why is he, why is he talking about himself? Why isn't he focusing on the Lord? He's going to get there, but he is setting the people up. Now, you, we don't see this immediately, but you're going to see it in a few moments. He is literally putting his testimony on the line because he's not quite done preaching to Israel. And so what he's about to say is going to be incredibly difficult for them to hear. So what he does, first of all, is he establishes, am I or am I not a righteous spokesperson for the Lord? And so let's look at the answer here. Get down into verse number four with me. He indeed had the respect of the people. Look at verse four. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. So all of that is formal talk. And basically we can summarize it and boil it down to this. Samuel said, speak up. Is speak up. If you've got anything to say, speak up now or forever hold your peace. And the, and the entire nation of Israel looked at his life, considered his testimony, saw his ministry in a full spectrum view, and to a man they all said, we've got nothing on you Samuel, you're a man of God. And Samuel said, you've said it before the Lord, and you've said it before his king. So I've gone to great lengths simply to, to show you what Samuel was doing, because I, I, I'm going to tell you, most of us really want to have a testimony like that, but I'm not sure any of us do. It doesn't mean we're wicked and we're wretched and we're horrible, but I would be hard-pressed to line up everybody I ever ministered to and dare ask the question, does anybody have anything against me? <laughs> I already know the answer to that. I, I, I already know whether it's justified or not. I already know that there would be hands shooting up all over the place because that's just the nature of the, the generation we live in. The fact of the matter is, is that when Samuel asked the question, nobody had a word to say. You know, I, I, I think we, as we are watching what's going on in an election year in the United States, and you think it's getting ugly now, just give it about 30, 45 more days. It's going to be nails, claws, venom, fangs, fur flying. It's going to be bad. And because we live in the culture and the generation that we live in, there isn't a single politician that I know of, maybe not a, anybody in the public spectrum that, or the public uh, eye that, that can say, does anybody have anything against me? I mean, the debates, the commercials, when they start hitting the TV airwaves and the radio airwaves, friends, let me tell you what they're going to be. Nine out of ten of them are going to be exposing what's wrong with the other candidate. Scandals, lies, deceit, things that were said, insensitivities, political incorrectness, maybe even criminal accusation. That mud is going to be slinging anywhere. And here's the thing I've learned about slinging mud. When you do it, you only lose ground. You've heard that statement before, right? When you sling mud, all you're doing is losing ground. Well, nobody could sling any mud on Samuel. He lived with a clear conscience and a good testimony. Uh, this motivates me. I, I'm, I want to be like Jesus, and here's the understatement of the century. I have a long way to go, and so do you. But friends, please remember that though we may not be a Samuel and we may not have a national audience, there's always eyes that are looking at us, grandkids, kids, spouses, people we do life with, co-workers, especially if they know that we're believers. And for us to be able to live in a, uh, in a continual atmosphere of integrity, 
and walking in the Spirit so we don't act out in the flesh, and, and um, just the little things that so often we let slide, and just to think that it, it, it's possible that we could actually live a life indwelt by the Holy Spirit from this day forward where nobody would be able to give a justifiable accusation about how we're living our lives. I want to live like that. When I read about Samuel, I'm motivated to do so. But let's get down into some verses we didn't read. Let's go down into verses 12 through 15. In verses 6 through 11, Samuel is recounting to the people just how good God had been to them. He talks about their deliverance from Israel and how faithful the Lord was and the mighty works that God has done. He's reminding them of just how reliable God has been to them. And in essence, he's saying, you didn't need a human king. You had the divine king, but you wanted a human king instead. And so Samuel, on his way out, he was able to clarify the big picture. He's done. He's leaving these people that he served, but he's going to clarify the big picture to them because his leadership in their lives is going to be um, dramatically decreased. And so when he's going out the door, I'm going to get to the verses in a minute, when he's going out the door, and especially if, if you really go back and study the previous chapter, they ran him out the door. They said to Samuel just a couple of chapters earlier, you're old. They literally said that to him. You're old. Your sons don't, don't live in integrity like you've lived in integrity. And we've been talking, and we want a human king like the nations around us. We want what they've got. And they literally shove Samuel aside in order that they may appear to be like the pagan nations around them. And so Samuel, listen, he's human. He's a godly man, but he's human. You know that stings. It's no fun to hear that, hey, we don't want you anymore. Well, we don't want your influence. We don't want your leadership. We don't, we don't appreciate any more, any further. We don't see the value in what you do. And we're, we're kind of going to go in a different direction, Brother Sammy. We're just going to, we'd like to be like the, 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 the Ammonites or the, the, the other Philistines. We, we'd love to have an opportunity to have a human king. And so Samuel processed that with the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, son. They're rejecting me. So Samuel, go out and give them what they want, find them a king. Now, why do I set that up? Well, because he's about to leave those people. And if there was ever a time he'd be tempted to, to dig them a little bit, to pronounce a curse over them, to tell them, you're going to find out, I told you so. If there was ever a time for him to kind of just drop the bomb on them, it would have been in this moment. And watch this, he doesn't do that. He clarifies the big picture for them. It includes some bad news, don't, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't leave it badly. So watch. First of all, as a good leader, he provided both correction and hope. Look down in verse 12 if you've got your Bible open. If not, look up on the screen. He's saying to Israel, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, he's looking at Saul, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now watch verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. 
This is what Samuel's doing, and this is leadership, friends. Listen, if you're interested in kingdom leadership, or if you are a kingdom leader, or if God has called you and He's migrating you towards that, if you want to be a person of influence in the kingdom, there's two things that you can learn just from these little verses. The first one is, good leadership never avoids the bad news. You cannot be a good kingdom leader and cover up all the ugly parts of walking out a life of faith. You can't tell people things are great when they're not. You can't pat everybody on the head. You can't tell them it's their best life now. You can't tell them that God loves them no matter what and everything's going to be fine and they can do whatever they want to do. Now listen, God is love and God loves people. That doesn't mean everything's going to be all right. A lot of this, what happens in our Christian lives, depends really heavily on what we're actually doing and how we're responding to the Lord and what is the level of our obedience. I mean, so God is kind and gracious and merciful, but He is not indulgent. He does not just encourage you to keep on sinning so that His grace can abound. And so what Samuel does here is he said, you guys, when Nahash was coming against you, you folks panicked, and that's when you wanted a human king. There was something about that attack from the Ammonites that made the heart of Israel tremble, and they no longer wanted to walk by faith. They didn't want an invisible God. They didn't want to have to wonder and have to bow and have to pray and have to sacrifice and have to humble themselves. They wanted a stud on a horse and a spear in his hand to go out and whip up on the Philistines. That's what they wanted. And that's when they said, forget this. Forget you, Samuel. We don't want God to be our king. We want a human king. And so Samuel didn't pretend like they hadn't sinned. Matter of fact, he's going to intensify it in a minute. But I like what he did. Here's the second thing. A good leader has to deal with what's wrong, but he always reminds them that God can take your bad decision and make it good. God is never thwarted and just hung out to dry, impossible, with no recourse whatsoever, when his children mess up. And that's what Samuel says. Samuel says, now look, you have really blown it. You've rejected the Lord. But in the midst and the context of your failure, in the midst of, of, of you dropping the ball and making mistakes and sinning against God, if you will, in this new chapter, seek the Lord and serve the Lord and worship the Lord and obey the Lord, it's going to be well with you. That's grace, friends. This is a message I think we need to hear as Christians, because I am running into people over, off and on over the years that really believe that because of the, a mistake that they made in their past, a sin, a moral failure, or a bad business decision, or a job they took, or a home they bought, or a person they even married, and, and they say, wow, I really blew it back then, so now I am chained to my failure. I'm going to be a slave to doom. I'm never going to overcome. That's it. One mistake, and, and I'm, I'm just a uh, uh, a victim the rest of my life. There's only one problem with that. You can't support that biblically at all. Because in order for that to be true, we would also have to say, by the way, there's a doctrine that says God completely abandons you when you don't hit the nail perfectly. And that's not true. Friends, when the children of God fail, this is what God says, acknowledge the failure. I will cleanse you of it. I will forgive you of it. And then I am going to bring in resurrection power into that thing where sin brought death. And that means God can take a bad situation and make it good. And that's why Romans 8.28 tells us that He is working all things together for good to them that love Him, the called according to His purpose. And so oftentimes I think there is this kind of mantle that is it's a heavy, dirty, burlap, suffocating mantle that is placed upon us when we're in the backwash of some failure. I, I have, I'm counseling a, a man right now, he's not in this church, but he's, he's in ministry. 
and uh, going through a divorce. And his whole thing is, God will never use me again. God will never use me again. It's, quite frankly, it's not his fault. He's being abandoned by, by his wife. And, and his whole thing is like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not good at anything. You know, this, I'm, I'm a minister. This is what I did. And God's never going to use me because divorced people can't serve. And I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to him. And I'm just letting him kind of lengthen the rope to hang himself on this thing. Because I was like, and then finally I called a time out and I said, what are you talking about? What in the world are you talking about? Well, Jeff, you know, I've, I've been told my whole life that a divorced man can't serve. I was, and I called his name, and I, I walked him through some scripture, and I said, Brother, let me just tell you something. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And in the context that you're in right now where you're being abandoned, and you are living a godly life, and you are serving the Lord and seeking the Lord, I want to tell you something. You're not going to get excommunicated for God's, from God's purposes for your life. There may be a time and a season where you have to come out of it, but it's a time and it's a season. Seasons begin and seasons end. And so trying to breathe hope into a bad situation. Maybe some of you can identify. Maybe you blew it financially. Maybe you're still reaping a little bit of what you sowed. And the devil likes to saunter up to you, whisper in your ear, God's never going to get you out of this hole. God's, God's abandoned you. You really blew it. You should have known better. You should have done better. You should have listened to the counsel you got. You should have listened to the Holy Spirit. And, and just the accusations come. Well, Samuel doesn't listen to the devil and he doesn't speak for the devil. He tells the people, you really, really blew it. You really, really sinned against God. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll turn to the Lord right now with your whole heart, it's going to be good. And I want to tell you that tonight. And I want you to tell other people that tonight. That your failures do not define you. They can describe a part of your life, but they don't have to define the rest of your life. And we have got to recognize that grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the welcoming of God into a situation where maybe there is a death-like circumstances, God comes in there and He brings to life things that are dead. And Samuel was wise enough to tell them that God was able to make their bad decision and turn it into something good. Look down at verses 16 and 17. As he's doing this, he does make sure he exalts the authority of God. Um, and I like this because he's, he's transitioning from full-time judge of Israel, and he's going to actually finish out his life as a prophet of Israel, and he's about to show us that he has the prophetic touch again. So in verse 16, he exalts the authority of God. He says, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. Okay, so it's wheat harvest season. And in that area, in the land there, late May, early June, wheat harvest time, it's a very dry season. And so Samuel's giving them this farewell speech, but he's not done serving God in Israel. He's being transitioned out of his judgeship but God is going to continue to use Samuel as a prophet. As a matter of fact, he's got another king to anoint, a, a guy named David. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So Samuel's not done serving the Lord yet, but he wants to make sure that the people recognize with intensity not only the, the authority of God, which he's about to demonstrate, but also God's going to validate Samuel here. And so it's wheat harvest time, it never rains, and Samuel says, hey, just so you guys know I am not playing around with you. Just so you guys get it and you understand that really what you did was wrong. I've said it, but
but now you're going to see it. You've heard it from me, but you're about to see it from God. Now this is great. This is what I believe is a byproduct of a life that is an unwavering walk, a life that is anointed, a life of integrity, a life of transparency. Samuel, because he had a clean conscience and a clean testimony and a heart towards God, and, and as he has wrestled through the fact that his judgeship is ending, he is now released, surrendered unto the Lord, and he says, I'm about to show you something. And he calls on the Lord and he says, Lord, send a massive thunderstorm right now in the dry season. So look down with me in verse number 18. Samuel operates in the power of God. Give me some of this. Verse 18. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain, not in a week or a month where it could have been coincidence, but in that moment, that day. And all the people, watch this, greatly feared the Lord, which was foremost the need, and Samuel, which was a secondary need. So Samuel operating in the power of God. As he is transitioning the nation from judgeship, which God ordained, into human kingship, which Israel demanded, Samuel just gives them this one more demonstration of the power of the God that they had rejected. And Samuel, as the prophet says, let it rain. He had a little, uh, a little, he and Elijah had a kindred spirit. And so, boom, the thunder breaks, the clouds roll in, the rain pours down. Now, just let me be Jeff for a minute. Don't you wish you could do that? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about in a carnal way, like, you know, getting on YouTube with it. I'm, I'm talking about, don't you wish that the, your life carried the anointing that the weather did what you told it to do? I mean, that would be great. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and some of you may never come back to Newbridge after he hearing me say it, but I, I'm just going to tell you. I actually believe that we can. I actually believe that we can have the kind of intimacy with the Lord that Elijah had. You said, now Jeff, that was Elijah. Well, James said he was a man just like we are. With, with the same kind of passions, the same kind of struggles that we have. The, I mean, the Bible, the New Testament says, Elijah was a man of like passions just as we. So they weren't anything superhuman, but they had a divine intimacy, uh, they had a, a connection, uh, an intimacy with God on a level that produced supernatural results that, quite frankly, um, I, I'm not seeing in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't sense God's power. It doesn't mean that I, I don't experience some fruit. It doesn't mean that I haven't seen incredible things and even participated in some supernatural things and some healings and some, some words of knowledge and some prophetic, but I've never made it rain. I, I haven't walked on water. I've not raised the dead, and I believe that we can. I have not opened, I personally have not opened blind eyes or deaf ears. I have friends in ministry that have, that have literally seen it. And, and of course, friends, we, we like to read about that stuff and we're amazed and maybe even skeptical sometimes when we hear about it. I want to tell you something, unless God has changed, that stuff still happens. And God hasn't changed, but maybe the level of intimacy among His children with Him has changed. And so when I read this, I'm thinking, Samuel, you're old and gray, but you got it going on, brother. You got the touch of God on your life. And if I go out, I want to go out with that. 
Now, everybody talks about Moses, and well, we should. And Abraham, amazing, great man of God. King David, what a glorious king. And Elijah and Elisha and the miracle working prophets, they get all of the press. But Samuel's just a steady Eddie. You know, he's just a steady Eddie, and yet look at the power of God on his life. And, and you know, he didn't, he wasn't dramatic. There wasn't a whole lot of flair to that. It just said that he called upon the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, and sent thunder and rain that day. Uh, you do know that the end of the age is going to be characterized by signs and wonders. You know that, right? Read the book of Revelation. M- much of it is going to come from the demonic and satanic realm. Under the ministry of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast, there is going to be a whole lot of hellish supernatural stuff going on. But there's also going to be an outpouring of God's supernatural power. And friends, so if it was active in the beginning of biblical history, and it is prophesied at the end of biblical history, why in the world would we be reluctant to think that it can happen in the middle of biblical history? We're actually living in the midst of it. And Samuel... He portrayed it for us, and the people saw it, and the people greatly feared God. I believe this is the moment where they fully felt the weight of the God they had rejected. Because the Bible says for the first time in a long time in this verse that they began to fear God again. And they also began to fear Samuel. In other words, Samuel, whom they had dismissed and kind of shoved to the side because he was old and outdated, now they're saying, ooh, We probably should not have done that. But interestingly, Samuel doesn't capitalize on the moment selfishly. Samuel doesn't hijack it with a, you know, thundering, I told you so. He still cares about the people. He actually cares more about the glory of God and the people he had been leading, as rebellious as they were. He cared cared more about God and the people than he did his own reputation or his own role. Please watch this with me as we finish up. He was removed as judge, but he was retained as prophet. Everything from this point forward in Samuel's life is more in the role of a prophet than a judge. Yeah, he lost his position, but he, he, he still was left with power. And so there are times, friends, listen, where God may take the title off your office door. You, you may not be Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so anymore. Uh, you, you may not have the influence and the position and the inside track that maybe you once had or that you always wanted. But I'm going to tell you something. Position is way overrated. I talk to young guys all the time. I, I, I've seen this over the years. Not often, but it does happen regularly enough where, where I want to be careful here. I won't sound overly critical, but let me just tell you the fact. I, I meet In the past, I used to meet more young guys that wanted an ordination certificate more than they wanted an anointing. They wanted to be ordained more than they wanted to soak in the presence of God and move out in His power. They wanted a title. They wanted a license. They wanted something to hang on the wall rather than God hanging fruit out of their hearts. And when we look at this, Samuel is losing his position, but he hasn't lost any of his power. So I want to tell you something. Your, your positional theology tells you who you are in Jesus all the time. And it has nothing to do with what's going on outside of you. Positional theology is good. We really have to know who we are in Christ. And the only way we're going to learn that is by reading the Scriptures, believing the Scriptures, and obeying the Scriptures. You've got to start identifying yourself as God does. And the only way you can know how God identifies you is to become a student of the Word because it's all in there. 
He tells you who you are in Christ. So I think it's like 160 times Paul uses the phrase in Christ in his writings. And so that's who you are, who we are in Christ. Now, your position may change in, in the sense of the horizontal and the, the natural, but spiritually, once you're in Christ, you're in Christ, and that positional security of who you are in Him, that's your identity. That's your internal inheritance. A lot of people are living for the external inheritance. Listen, get your internal inheritance settled, and your external inheritance won't be as important. Your, your internal inheritance is, is who you are, and, and it really drives your life. And so Samuel could say bye to the position of judge, but because of who he was, his internal inheritance, he still kept the power of God even though the people had rejected him. And I love that about him. I, you know, rejection is something that I, I loathe. I've experienced it my whole life. And truth be known, if there's, something, uh, there's, if there's a fallen, broken part of me that I wrestle with most, it's that orphan spirit. Both my parents left when we were young. My dad came back, but my mom never did. Then my sister left. And then just re rejection throughout life. And so I lived so much of my life just waiting for the next person to walk out. And, and, and I always felt crumbled on the inside when it happened. But as I grow in the grace of God, and I recognize that literally, he said, Jeff, I am never going to leave you or forsake you. And, and it, that's a great verse to quote, but sometimes we act like we don't believe it. And, and, and so when, when we lose things in life, or things are withheld from us, or taken from us, we can feel like, oh no, my life is falling apart. Well, the truth of the matter is, no, it's not falling apart if your identity is rooted in Jesus. So let's go further into this. Are y'all following me tonight? Some of this is kind of, okay. Let's go down into verses 19 through 25, and we'll wrap up here. Um, so I like this. This is great leadership. Samuel was able to set his followers up for success. Verse number 19. Hey, watch this. There was still a need for him. It wasn't going to be the same as it was, but there was still a need. So the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. <laughs> I love this. All right, let's, let's get into our homes for a moment. This has probably happened if you've been married longer than 20 minutes. You're telling your spouse something. There's, let's just say there's a conflict. And you're telling your spouse something. And you're laying your case out. And you get it point by point by point. And you know you're right. But your spouse isn't feeling it. They're just not receiving it. They're pushing back. They're maybe arguing. And finally, they just, you know, the, the debate, the argument, whatever, it's over. You know you're right. You know they're wrong, but they just don't get it. And then two weeks later, the same topic comes up, but this time you're with three or four other people. And your spouse is sitting there listening, and somebody else other than you is telling your spouse the exact same thing you told them weeks ago. And your spouse goes, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. And you're like, what? What? Right? Y'all have gone through that, right? That's happened, right? Okay, y'all are, some of y'all are looking really pious, like, not my home, sir. Okay, well, I golf clap you. But Samuel is here, and he's been telling them this the whole time. And now, here they are, they're saying, Samuel, pray for us. We've really messed up by asking for a king. And I could just picture Samuel saying, duh, I've been telling you this. But that's not Samuel's style. Samuel doesn't say that at all. I, I, I laugh at it because it is ironic that Samuel had to go through all that he went through 
you know, waiting on Saul, anointing Saul, wrestling with God in prayer about the people rejecting God and him, and Samuel telling the people. It's not the first time he's mentioned this to them, but it wasn't until this moment where the rain came and the thunder rolled and all of that that the people, you know, they get the proverbial brick in the forehead and they're like, oh man, we've really messed up. And so what's Samuel's reaction to that? Um, well, before I give you that, let, let me just let's say this. They didn't want him as judge, but immediately they knew they still needed him as intercessor. Samuel, we don't even know if God will hear our prayers anymore. So will you please, notice their language there, will you please talk to your God? Do you see now they're aware of their sin? Now they're aware of their rebellion? Now they're feeling the, the legitimate unworthiness of what they had done before the Lord, and yet they still know they need Him, but they've been humbled they're contrite, they're broken over their sin, at least in this moment. And so they said, Samuel, I mean, I know we've asked you to step aside, but we still need you. Please pray for us. That's a pretty empowering moment for Samuel. And a lesser person might have said, oh, so now you want my prayers, do you? So, so now you want me to come to your aid. So now you want me to um, talk to the Lord on your behalf? I don't think so. That's what a lesser person would have said. But Samuel's not a lesser person. And that's why I'm looking at him as a, uh, and saying, I want to learn from him. You know, Jesus said to love your enemies. And I don't know that most of us really work hard at that. Sometimes God will put you in a season where you have to work hard on it. I think probably we're all old enough in this room to where we can think of seasons in life where that was the lesson God just kept making us learn over and over again because perhaps we were going through uh, um, one individual that kept treating us spitefully, you know, doing us harm, talking about us, or you know, doing something that brought wounds to us. And we were praying for God to kill that person, <laughs> and, and God wasn't going to kill them. God says, actually, no, I, I want you to learn to love them. And so I've been through seasons like that where it wasn't just one face, but it was many. And I, I would plead with the Lord, Lord, why, why are you allowing this to happen? I'm trying to serve you. I, I want you to be glorified. These people are wrong. They're, they're, they're hindering your work. And now looking back on it, I just see that the lesson was, Jeff, you kept telling me you wanted to be like my son Jesus, and you can't be like him unless you love your enemies. And so Samuel doesn't pull out the hatchet and go after them. His ministry had changed. Now listen, um, let me give you this little tidbit. There were needs that were continuing, but the realization that their needs continue is not enough reason for a leader to remain where he has been. Other factors must be considered when it's time to step aside. Why do I even say that? Because there could be, within the heart of some of us, a reluctance to step away, even in the will of God, to step away from something where there's still need. What am I talking about? There's a lot of people, there's a lot of pastors, I'll just use my position, there's a lot of pastors that remain in churches longer than they should have. And, and the reason why is, well, they still need me, they still need me, they still need me. Well, listen, J Jesus made, gave us a principle, and He said, you're always going to have the poor with you. I mean, there's always going to be a need of some sort. And sometimes you have to recognize that there's only one Savior, and His name is not your name. That Jesus is the only one that, that must remain in the place of need, but there are times where God will remove us out 
of that place even while there's still need. The people needed Samuel, but Samuel couldn't continue to stay there holding on to his position as judge. And so he keeps following the Lord knowing that it was time to step aside. So go down to verse number 20. As he's doing this, he points them to God and he entrusts them to God. So in other words, he points them to the Lord and then he takes his hand off of them and he has to entrust these people to the Lord. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, you've done all this evil, yet don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve Him with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things that can't profit or deliver, for they're empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. This is such good leadership. Okay, he squeezed them tight with conviction right? You have sinned greatly against God. You have rejected Him. Lord, bring in the sound effects. Let the rain come down. Let the thunder roll. The people trembled. They repented. Once that repentance and brokenness was evident to Samuel, he releases his grip and he says, I want you to know something. God chose you as rebellious as you've been as a people to Himself, and I'm going to promise you something. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. And because of that, worship Him, serve Him, and obey him, he will be good to you. So he points the people to God as he's stepping away. Your, your influence, your investment in the kingdom has to outlive you, or it wasn't legitimate. Let me give you that again. It's a hard word, but you got to receive it. If everything we're doing in the kingdom falls to pieces the moment that we step away, we didn't do it right. We have to point people to Jesus. Let me give you a little inside peek at discussions your pastor and Dustin and I have with each other. We want this ministry to never be about Jeff Lyle and Dustin Pennington. We believe we have a role here. And though it's sometimes it's up front and it may seem prominent, I'm going to tell you, if we do our jobs right, if the Lord takes one of us home or both of us at the same time, the strength that this church will have if we're doing our job right will be such to the extent that somebody can step in and tell God places one or two new pastors in here. Why is that important? It's important in our homes when we're raising children or influencing grandchildren. Listen, we want them to love us, but it, you that are now empty nesters, you know that there comes that unavoidable time where you just have to let them sprout their wings and fly. And they can't hang on you forever or you haven't done your job right as a parent. So we've got to point people to Jesus in all that we do. We don't want to become celebrities in the kingdom. We don't want to ever view ourselves as absolutely necessary. We're helpful. We have value in the kingdom. We're not doormats or anything like that. But we don't ever want to come to think of ourselves as, oh man, if I'm not a part of this, it's never going to work. And sometimes we don't do that in arrogance. Sometimes we do it in sincerity, wanting to help people. We're like, we just can't bear the thought of, of, of walking away from something. Um, we should always be working ourselves out of a job. That's what discipleship is about. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses commit the same to faithful men, or commit to faithful men who shall teach others also. 
Meaning discipleship means you take all that you've got, you pour it into the next guy, and the next guy pours it into the next girl, and the next girl pours it into the next girl. And so it's this chain of pouring something good into those coming behind you. And eventually, if you're doing it right, you ought to be able to step away and do something different. Samuel moved from judge, was no longer the judge, and would serve as an intercessor, but primarily as a prophet. And what he did is he said, I want to point you to the Lord because He's really, 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 really good. Even though you failed Him, I want you to trust Him. He's actually that good. He will not break His covenant with you. He's doing it for His own namesake. And that's a beautiful thing. When we've hit rock bottom, the, the one thing that ought to keep us going is, yeah, if God was like a man, He would, he would walk away from me right now. But um, I bear the name of His Son. I'm a Christian. And the Lord will not leave me to my own devices. And so the last two verses, and we'll be done. He emphasized the core essentials on His way out. These are kind of the last words he speaks in this role over Israel as judge. He says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. They Remember, they had said, please pray for us. And he says, of course, I'm going to pray for you. He says, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Well, here it comes. Here's the instruction. It's three parts. Fear the Lord. That's worship. That means he's number one. He's central. He's core. Serve Him faithfully with all your heart. That's a, another part of it. Hey, listen, don't just stay in the tabernacle or the temple worshiping all the time, or the tabernacle at this point. He, he says, serve Him. Do. Be a worshiper. Do the work of the Lord. And then He says, consider what great things He's done for you. And so, here's the third part. Yes, worship Him. Yes, serve Him. But stay grateful. Stay grateful when, when it's time to step aside. You have to stay grateful. When your season has closed or the one you're wanting to open up hasn't opened up yet, stay grateful. Preach to yourself how good God has been to you. Remind yourself. That's what uh, Samuel was doing earlier in the chapter. He's saying, uh, verses 6 through 11, he's telling them, remember when God did this, remember when God did this, remember when God did this. Because when our seasons come to a close and it's time for us to step away from something that has, has been, our life has been invested in, the, the one thing that can happen is you become vulnerable to, to bitterness or to regret or depression. You say, well, wait, I don't know how to be who I'm supposed to be if I'm not doing what I used to do. And that's very real. Somebody better preach this to me in about 20 years because I'm going to really need it. My time will be up. My time will be up. Listen, there'll be some 30-year-old. I'll be in my late 60s at that point. There'll be some 30-year-old coming in there, and he's going to have the touch of God on him. It's going to be a brand new generation. I will no longer be the middle-aged guy or the young guy. I will be the old guy, and there will be a very real moment where I will have to say, you know what? It's probably time to step aside. God's going to use this person in my role, and there's something else for me to do in the kingdom. I hope that when that moment comes, I can say, Lord, I'm going to worship you like Samuel told Israel. Lord, I, I'm not going to be doing the same thing I've, I've been doing, but I am going to serve you. I may not be the judge, but I'll be the intercessor and the prophet. If I can't be the intercessor and the prophet, then Lord, show me what I can be. And then Lord, please help me stay grateful. C.S. Lewis said, in gratitude, and what he said, an ungrateful heart is the first step towards apostasy. Meaning this, when your heart becomes ungrateful, it's the first step that you enter into from walking away from the Lord. When we lose our gratitude. And so Samuel told them, 
the Lord could have rejected you. The Lord has the judicial right to never deal with you again. But Israel, he's not going to do that to you. Because he's tethered you to his own name, and for his own name's sake, he's going to remain faithful even when you weren't. So if you will turn and serve him and worship him and put away all the foolish idols that you dabble in, then it's going to be well with you. But if you choose not to do that, then you're going to suffer and you're going to struggle. And the banner that hangs across the end of the service is this. The choice is yours. They got to decide. If you're familiar with the history of Israel, you know what that ended up looking like. But it didn't have to be that way. Those precious people were told by a leader who was old and had faithfully served that they could continue to walk with God in a very powerful and productive way. And so Samuel steps aside as the judge. Saul steps in as the king. And our next message, we're not going to cover the life of Saul. Samuel disappears for about four chapters that cover the life of Saul. The next time we're going to see Samuel, he's going to be confronting Saul because Saul would prove to be a poor king, and then David's going to step in the picture. So Lord willing, next Wednesday, we're going to show David and Saul and Samuel in kind of a triangle of, of a divine appointment, and then we got two messages after that. So I hope you've been helped tonight. I hope you'll consider it. And if anything else, if you missed any, everything else I said, leave here tonight saying, God, you've been really, really good to me. Thank you. Amen.